0: I can think of no subject that is more appropriate, more pertinent, more relevant for this 21st century in the Western world than the subject that we have to look at tonight, God's mandate for marriage. There is no one here that this subject is not relevant to. Because this subject gets to the very heart of our humanity and it gets to the very heart of society and civilization as well. This subject gets to the heart of who we are, what God has made us for in this world. This subject has teaching for people that are married and for people that are not married. This subject has teaching for those that are young who aren't yet married, and perhaps are contemplating and praying about the future. This subject is relevant for parents as they think of their children, and God's plan for them in the future. And this subject is relevance for those that are older as well, because after all, we've all come from families, we're all part of families, and whether God has blessed you with the, the gift of marriage, or perhaps he has given you the gift of singleness, and who knows, that may not be the condition that you'll be in until the day you die. God may yet bring someone along life's path for you. But for some, singleness is a calling too. But yet you can think of married folks in your life that have been a blessing. And you can think of parents. So all of this has relevance for us all. Because it gets to the very heart of our society, of our humanity. It stirs memories within us. And yes, it is. A most important theme. And there is so much that we could think about and talk about, but we want to keep things simple, remain closely to the truth of God's Word, and see what we can glean. And in the first place, we have this text, uh, Genesis chapter 2 and the verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fr- sorry, Genesis 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And that is said within the context of God having already created the male and the female. He created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. He blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion. God had a clear plan for the first couple. They were to have dominion over the earth together. They were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to replenish the earth. And after all, we are the product of that union because Adam is our first father and Eve is our first mother. So with that in mind, let's think first of all, upon the beginnings of marriage. And perhaps we could just go to the the, the next slide. Thank you. We have all the headings we're going to go through tonight. So let's think about the beginnings of marriage first of all. And it is quite clear whenever we come to the book of Genesis that marriage is a creation ordinance. When God created man, he subsequently created woman and God presided over the first marriage in the Garden of Eden. And God there was setting a clear pattern for society, setting a clear pattern for all humanity. Humanity began with a marriage. And whenever we think about marriage, we think about something that transcends All societies, it transcends nations, it transcends cultures. Wherever you go in the world, you will find the institution of marriage. And you will discover that the institution of marriage is a very important aspect in any society. And you can go beyond Christianity. And yes, Christianity brings something very special to marriage. And we'll come to that at the end. And Christianity is based, of course, upon the the Jewish Jewish tradition of marriage. And that too is very important because that comes from the Old Testament teaching. But you can go outside of Judaism and Christianity and you go to various nations and various cultures and various religions across the world and you'll discover that marriage is such an important part of, of man, such an important part of society and such an important part of of culture as well. There's something very special about marriage. And that is because God created us with marriage in view and he created Eve for Adam. Now, God made Eve for Adam for companionship. So there was the need for comfort. God said it is not good that the man should be alone. God made man as a a social being. A being who, who needs others. There is no one who truly can exist on an island. God has created us with that need to belong. Need to belong to family. Need to belong to friends. And, and yes, the, the most important relationship that we have after the relationship with our parents. And the relationship with the parents is the first informative relationship. But then there is relationship with the husband With the wife. And that is stressed by Moses here in Genesis chapter 2 and the verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And so there is the replacing of, of that one important relationship with another. Even more important relationship, the leaving and the cleaving leaving father and mother behind. Not that we should ever forget about father and mother, but there is another relationship that becomes more important, that's relationship with the husband and with the wife, and they shall be one flesh. So there is the need for companionship, the the comfort. Uh, There is the need for someone to be a confidant, someone to talk to, someone to seek advice from. Uh, There is the need for consolation. And then there is the need... For morality as well. Because the Apostle Paul said. It is better to marry than to, to burn. And there is an intimate relationship. That should only be enjoyed. Within marriage. And it should not be enjoyed outside marriage. And all kinds of problems result. When that relationship. Is entered into outside marriage. It is only when. The man and the woman come together. As husband and wife. That they can be one flesh. And that is stressed by. Moses in Genesis chapter 2 and the verse 24. It is also stressed by uh, our our Lord himself. And not only does Moses speak of marriage and the importance of it, but Christ does as well. And if you come with me uh, over in the Scriptures to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, the Lord refers to Moses... We should always remember that the the scriptures are a unity. The scriptures are one book. If we undermine one part of scripture, we undermine all of scripture. If we say that Moses did not write Genesis, if we say that Moses didn't know how to write whenever Genesis was written, when it was supposed to be written, if we say those kinds of things, then we begin to say the Bible is a bit of a fabrication, a bit of a fraud. And if the Bible is a fraud in one part, it's a fraud in every part. And the Lord said there was a man called Moses and there was a man called Moses who wrote about the creation account. And therefore, if Moses did not exist or didn't exist in the way the Bible says he exists, then Christ does not exist because he is not the perfect son of God because he too believed in Moses. And this is all very important. We're dealing with truth here. And truth stands firstly upon the premise That God's word is true. Thy word is truth. So let's just look here at Mark chapter 10 and what what Jesus had to say in verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so there is the importance of morality in relation to the marriage bond. But there is the importance of procreation as well. The importance of, of, of children. And you will see in Genesis chapter 1 and the verse 28, God blessed them. God said unto them, be fruitful and Multiply replenish the earth and subdue it. Having children, the children might go out and replenish the earth, that the earth might be populated. And this was repeated to Noah and to Noah's family whenever they came out of the ark. They had to go forth and they had to multiply. And this ordinance was repeated as well. The importance of it in Genesis chapter 8 and the verse 17. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. They may breed abundantly in the earth and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth. After their kinds went forth out of the ark, the importance of the world being populated was expressed very clearly and the blessings that god pronounced the blessings that noah pronounced upon his sons shem ham and japheth it is very evident that they were to go out and they were to multiply and they were to populate the earth and so the importance of 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 children and that very much was one of the purposes of marriage as well now i know that not everyone is blessed with children and uh, In the providence of God, that blessing has been withheld. But yet we know that it is God's design for children to be born into married homes. And that doesn't always happen in this very imperfect society that we live in. But it's God's plan and God's purpose that a a child should be brought up in a home where there is a, a mother and father. And where there are a couple who have made covenant vows to each other a couple who are determined together to bring those children up. And, and, and that is God's plan for society. This is what the Scripture is teaching us here. The Scripture is giving us all of this in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Now, whenever we look at the account in Genesis, there's one thing staring us in the face that marriage exists between two genders. God made us male and female. And that's stated very specifically in Genesis 1, 27. It's stated also by the Savior. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. So as God created man in his image, he created man, male, and female. There only was two genders. There only are two genders. You see, the reason why there is so much confusion around today is because the world, with its twisted philosophy, does not want to accept truth. The world is running away from truth. The whole idea of fixed truth is becoming questioned today. It never was before. The various philosophies that underpin Western civilization today, philosophies that have sought to dislodge Christianity away from our culture, they are truth-denying philosophies. Evolution is one of those truth-denying philosophies. Never let anyone tell you that evolution is science. Evolution's not science. If it was science, you'd be able to go to those in-between creatures, between apes and, and, and men, and you would be able to see the clear development. Those things aren't seen. Because evolution is a philosophy. It's an idea that has no scientific basis. It has never been tested scientifically. It's not truth. And yet people would rather believe that than believe God's word because they don't want to accept that there is a God. That's really what it comes down to. People don't want to accept that there is a God. And the whole idea today is you can be what you want to be. You can be anything that you want to be. You can be what you choose. You can be what you feel to be. So if if a boy wants to be a girl, then he's a girl. If a girl wants to be a boy, then she becomes boy, And that's just the way it is. You can be what you feel to be. You can be a boy today and a girl the next day. And, And so it goes on. And there's so much confusion. So much confusion about sexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality. There's a transgender lobby. And at the heart of all of this, there is this attack on what God has to say about who we are. Because what God is giving us here is truth. Our gender is fixed. We are either men or women. And you may see that as a place to write other on a form, but that doesn't exist. doesn't exist in the mind of God. It doesn't exist in Scripture, and nor does it exist in science. We cannot be what we want to make ourselves. We have to accept what we are, the way God has made us. Because when you look at Genesis 1 and 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God made man in his own image. We're made in the image of God. Not that we look like God. Because God doesn't have a head like ourselves and, and feet like ourselves and hands like ourselves. But God breathed his spirit into Adam and he became a living soul. And there is that spirituality to the core of humanity. That's where the image of God comes in. But whenever God made us in his image, he created us male and female. That's how God made us. We need to remember something really important here. This whole confusion that is around today, it ultimately is to the detriment of humanity. But... It is an undermining of God's word. And it's an undermining of the institution of marriage that is so important because marriage can only exist between a man and a woman. Can it exist between two men? Can it exist between two women? A man, woman, full stop. Anything beyond that's not marriage. The state has no right to define marriage. No right whatsoever. And we shouldn't get misled by the notion, oh, the state can have its form of marriage in a registry office or whatever, And the church can have their marriage than church. We shouldn't think like that because marriage is marriage. And if the state claims that a marriage between two men and there's two husbands married to each other, two wives married to each other, that's somehow appropriate. The state's claiming such a thing. Then they are saying, this is the institution of marriage. Before we know it, they'll be looking to infiltrate the church with that false philosophy as well. Get it right into the hearts and minds of our children. And so we need to be very careful about all of this. Be clear about where we are. There only is one form of marriage, and that is between a man and a woman. And we need to remember this as well. Every time a wedding takes place, that is a divine institution. God instituted marriage. Christ favored marriage whenever he performed his first miracle, as that special guest at the... The wedding of Cana of Galilee. Marriage is something that God has given to man as his special gift for our good. And it's a tragedy today. It has been perverted in such a way. I was taking part in a wedding uh, a few years ago and the, the, the other minister that was taking part in the wedding said something to me that was so true and yet... I just never thought of it in that light before. He said, you know, we should be so grateful today and we should really thank God that here we have a young man and a young woman coming to church to make vows together to covenant before God they will be faithful to each other until death do them part. In this age of confusion, he said, we should be so grateful that we have young people that are doing that. And it's such a true thing and we should be grateful that we do have young people. We do have Christian young people and we do have young people even if they are not Christians that they know what's right and wrong where these things are concerned because God has given us the plan and when we step out of the plan we get into trouble. And so that's the beginning. So let's move on to the bedrock. Marriage is the bedrock of society. So whenever... God created Adam and Eve. He formed the first marriage. Out of that marriage would come the first family. And out of that first family would come the first society. And eventually, out of families, there would come nations. And nations would be born. But at the heart of it all, you strip it all back, we come back to a family. Because what is a town, a collection of families. What is a nation? A collection of societies within that nation, but at the heart of every one of those societies, there is a family. Therefore, we can justifiably say that the basis of civilization is the marriage between a man and a woman, God's pattern for humanity. Marriage is the bedrock of society. And therefore, I would argue, every structure we have within society depends upon family. It's very true of the church, absolutely true of the church. The importance of every family unit within the church should never be underestimated. And there should be much prayer offered for every family within the church. And we should rejoice in the children that God gives the church. So often we pray for unsaved folks that they might come in and they might be saved. And that's right. We need to pray for that. But let's not forget the children. God gives us the children. Whenever there's wee ones in church and you hear them crying, don't get fidgety. Don't think to yourself, I wish that mother would take that child out you thank God there's a mother that's bringing that little child and teaching that little child how to sit in church. And it's not an easy struggle. But the future of the church depends upon those children. Uh, marriage is at the very basis of the church. But marriage is at the basis of every aspect of, of government, the aspect of, of, of parliament, of the judiciary, the police force, Marriage is such an important part of society and without marriage, and we'll come to this very soon, there's no civilization. Civilization crumbles when marriage crumbles and we're starting to see the beginnings of that today. At the apex of the British system of government, there is the crown. And the British system of government is... Very, very unique across the world. Because we have this constitutional monarchy. Parliament makes the rules, makes the laws. The crown signs them off. But where does parliament get that power from? That power comes from the crown. Every member of our armed forces takes a vow, not to the Conservative Party, the Labour Party, not to a Prime Minister, but to the crown. The judges serve the crown. Power flows down from the crown to our... Government, and the crown is at the apex of it all. And the reason why, well, there are several reasons why Britain has never become a republic, hasn't ditched the crown. It would be very difficult to do it. There would be such a disentanglement of all of the the legal stuff in order to do it. It would be very difficult, and the crown, of course, is very popular in the Eyes of many in the United Kingdom, and in many ways, it is at the foundation of our national life. But what does the crown depend upon? A family. And that family can trace its ancestry all the way back to Alfred the Great, who was the King of Wessex in the 9th century. I've got my calculations right there. And he was one of the first to translate the scriptures into English, early English. And he was a great Christian king. That's why he was known as Alfred the Great. And throughout all of our history, there has been this Christian lineage. And we can truly say that the lines have fallen onto us in pleasant places. We have a godly heritage. And the crown, nominally at least, is a Christian institution. But that Christian institution, in a legal sense, sets the tone for the nation and for Britain. But sadly, Britain's turning away from all of that. But the point I'm making is this. At the very fundamental heart of our system of government that has been so blessed of God throughout the ages is a family family. And it's known as the royal family. And I find that very, very interesting because after all, if there was same-sex marriage there, there'd be no bloodline, no bloodline to maintain. And then where would we be? It would be a constitutional crisis. And that's something I've never heard addressed at any time. Let's pray that we'll never go there as a nation. It would be a sign of judgment indeed if that ever were to happen. Marriage is at the bedrock of civilization. And it's incredible how far things have moved on in such a short space of time. For example, in the year 2011-2012, a senior Guardian commentator, a man called Michael White, warned that creating same-sex marriage would be unwise. The Guardian, known for their left-wing liberal views, he wrote... There's an important practical distinction here which goes to the root of any society, namely that heterosexual marriage is there to produce and raise children in a more or less stable environment. Anyone that wrote those things in a national paper today would be pilloried. That's just in 10 years. Jack Straw, who at one time was Tony Blair's home secretary, He said in the year 2000, marriage is about a union for the procreation of children which by definition can only happen between a heterosexual couple. So I see no circumstances in which we could ever bring forward proposals for so-called gay marriages. Jack Straw changed his views. And yet back then he was certainly, whether he knew it or not, was articulating exactly not only what the Bible says but what common sense says. This was recognized that marriage between a man and a woman was at the very bedrock of society, and yet the foundations have shifted. And the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Carl Zimmerman is a very interesting character. He was a very important American sociologist in the first part of the twentieth century. He was not a Christian, did not write from a Christian perspective. But he was very interested in societies and what makes up societies and why certain societies succeed and why some fail, why civilizations grow and prosper and why they suddenly crumble. He studied all of that. He studied it in history as well as looking at American society and his generation. He was particularly attracted by the difference between rural America in the 1920s and big city urban America. In big city urban America, he saw the fracturing of families. He saw children being raised out of marriage. He saw the problems that that was creating and generating. He saw marriage breakdowns. And that gave him much food for thought. He went to rural America and he he saw close-knit family units. He saw extended families. He saw grandparents who had such a close affinity with their grandchildren. And he saw those strong bonds of family that still existed in rural America and he saw a different, a stronger society. And then he looked at it all in history and he wrote a book called Family and Civilization. And he drew some of the characteristics of civilizations that failed. Great civilizations in the history of the world that collapsed. And he said that they all had something in common. Marriage was not long, was no longer taken seriously. There were too many no-fault divorces. There was a dearth of births. No longer were as many children born. Uh, there was the acceptance of alternative marriage forms. Uh, there were widespread attitudes of feminism. There was the propagation of anti-family sentiment. There was an acceptance of most forms of adultery. There were rebellious children. There were juvenile delinquents. There was a common acceptance of all forms of sexual perversion. Those were his stunning conclusions. What he has to say is, very much scoffed at and sneered at today because it doesn't fit in with the, the way in which Modern people like to view the world. And it is sometimes said, well, Carl Zimmerman got it wrong. He said that the population was going to decline. And of course, there was World War II and there was the baby boom. But we've got beyond all of that. And Carl Zimmerman has got it absolutely right. You know, you look at the Western world, and the Western world is in crisis. Serious crisis. The... Countries with the largest percentage of total population over 65 years of age in 2022, the majority of those countries are in Western Europe. Italy, 24% of that population is over 65. That's a dying population. Greece, 23%, Portugal, 23%, Germany, 22%, Croatia, 22%, Bulgaria, Serbia, right across Western Europe, populations are becoming older and older and there's fewer and there's fewer children. Something's happening. Something very serious is happening. And it's going hand in hand with this departure from God. This departure from biblical morality that we're seeing all around us. Carl Zimmerman said this, Unless some unforeseen renaissance occurs, the family system will continue headlong on its present trend toward nihilism. Nihilism is one of those modern philosophies, it means disorder and chaos. Without the family system, society will melt down into chaos. That was what he was saying. The great British historian, Arnold Toneby, he said, out of 21 notable civilizations, 19 perished, not by conquest from without, but by moral decay from within. We destroy ourselves. And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing the destruction of society. And that should sound the alarm bells in every heart and in every mind. Let's move on and think about the battle for marriage now. The term is sometimes used, culture wars. And there is a culture war going on. Traditional British society has been steeped in a Christian Culture, and I use that word culture in the best possible sense. Christianity has given us such a, a culture, particularly Reformation Christianity, which really lies at the heart of our nationhood today. Reformation Christianity was there to be seen so clearly when the king took his vows whenever he was crowned just a few months ago. But there is a real battle going on. And it's a battle between Christ and Antichrist. It's a battle between light and darkness. It's a battle between God and Satan. It's a battle between secular humanism and Christianity. It's a battle between postmodernism, which denies there is any such thing as truth. There is truth. Of course there's truth. You go out onto the road and you decide to go through a stop sign, you'll discover what truth is. You'll discover it to your detriment. Of course there's truth. To say there's no such thing as truth, it's the biggest lot of nonsense you ever heard. But there is this battle between those who say there's no such thing as truth and the unchanging word of God. And it's a battle that we need to get engaged in. And it's a battle that church needs to, be, to get engaged in. And, and it's a, a battle... We need to take seriously because I have said everything's at stake. The stakes could not be higher than the place that we are in tonight. When John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he depicted Christian and his companion Faithful. They were passing through Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair was the the great picture of the world, the spirit of the world, the culture of the world, the ungodliness of the world. What would Bunyan made of our society? And it was like going down a marketplace. And there was Spanish ruin, Italian ruin, British ruin. All of these nations were selling their wares. People were crying out for the two pilgrims to come and buy from them. The two pilgrims looked so very different. Their clothes were different. They stood out. Their language was different. So it should be in this world we should look so very different. And, and we should talk different Our way of life should be so different from society. And so they went down, sticking out like a sore thumb. And they heard the cries, the calls to conform. And they put their fingers in their ears and they would not listen. And they said, we buy the truth. The book of Proverbs says that, Proverbs 23, verse 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. You think of the word buy. It's about investment. You invest your time into truth. You invest your knowledge into truth. You invest your reading into truth. You fill your heart with truth. And you stand up for that truth. And of course, the truth that is all important is the truth of the old book. Everything that we are needs to be dominated by the book. Truth is at stake. That's why we need to get involved in this battle. The future of our children is at stake. The morality of our children is at stake. We don't want them to be infiltrated with the spirit of this age. We want them to have truth. But the gospel is at stake. The gospel itself is at stake today. Because the gospel is erected upon the foundations of scripture. The foundations of scripture tell us that God made Man in his own image, he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. Man became a living soul, but man departed from God. Man sinned, and so the world became a fallen place. That's how we understand the world is fallen, it's corrupt, it's warped. The world does not get better. You know, man has this idea. Evolution has taught, has taught us that, that the world improves, that man improves. Man becomes better as man evolves. He progresses, he makes progress. Therefore, we today automatically are going to be better than a generation or two ago. It's always going to be the case. And that's a lot of nonsense. Man gets worse. We might learn to do some very brilliant things, but two or three hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, they knew how to do brilliant things. They were able to do things that people couldn't do today, knowledge that has been lost. We can do things they couldn't do. They do things we couldn't do, but ultimately, morally, morally, Man is on that slippery slope into the abyss and into darkness. We look at world history from that perspective, that man needs to be saved. Man needs a redeemer. Man needs Christ. And if you start to remove the teaching of scripture in this area, in that area, in the area of sexuality, in the area of marriage, if you... If you pick out scripture, start to deny it, start to say, this couldn't be right, that couldn't be right, we'll not accept this, we'll not accept that, then suddenly you have no saviour. And the Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And one is built upon the other. And the law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. And so this battle that we're in for truth, and marriage certainly is a part of it, it's a battle for the gospel. We shouldn't forget that. There's also the betrayal of marriage. Marriage is not really under threat today because of the current LGBTQ trends. That certainly is one part of the battle. But there is the problem of a lack of morality generally in society not only by young people who aren't married but by older people who are married a lack of faithfulness to the marriage vow marriage is a covenant where two people take vows to be faithful to one another and adultery is a serious serious wrong And adultery causes the breakdown of trust and the breakdown of the marriage relationship, causes awful problems. And the scripture talks about this. Turn with me over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, Solomon tells a story to the young man to keep away from the strange woman. It could just as easily be told to the young woman as well. But he's talking to his son here. That's the context. And he meets this woman who's a married woman. And she flaunts herself at him. And he gives in. For the pleasure of the night. And the scripture describes him as he went after this woman. In verse 22, he goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stalks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. The path to ruination. Immorality is the path. To ruination. Her house, verse 27, is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of, of death. It's a very solemn passage. And then the Lord said, The man that looks on a woman, lost after her, and his heart has broken the commandment, Thou shalt not. importance of keeping ourselves pure and I know that's a subject that another brother will be dealing with but let's move on finally to the blessings we're coming and closing to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and encouraged by our brother's prayer our brother prayed that we would see Christ tonight and yes we we do see Christ and we see Christ in marriage and we come to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and one of the, the great passages on the subject of marriage. And at the heart of this passage is Christ. Verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. You see, the Lord's there in this marriage. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Therefore as the church is subject unto Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. We began by talking about the foundation of marriage, the beginnings of marriage. We've looked at some of the ways by which marriage has been attacked, has been betrayed. But in closing, we come to the blessing of marriage. Marriage which comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ. I once heard a clergyman say when preaching at a wedding that in engineering terms, you have a female thread and a male thread. And the the nut will lock onto the thread and you can screw it on. They're fastened together. And then you get a lock knot that holds it all in one place. And he said at this wedding today, we have the male and the female thread, but then we have Christ. He's the lock knot. He holds it together. Only Christ can hold the home together. And Christ teaches us so much about selflessness. Selflessness. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I don't think there's any husband here who has ever lived up to that. You think of what Christ did for us. Going to the cross, shedding his precious blood, giving us all, surrendering us all, loving us unto death. That's the pattern. It is sometimes said that Christians don't have love when it comes to the LGBT community, when it comes to homosexuals, lesbians, that we don't have love, that these people, they just want to enjoy love. They've got it all wrong. The scriptures show us the love of Christ. And the Bible does give us the parameters through which love ought to be exercised. But ultimately, the scriptures show us Christ who loved the church and gave himself for it. You often think of Charles Wesley's hymn, Oh, that the world could taste and see the riches of his love. The arms of love that compass me with all mankind embrace. And that's what our society needs. Our society is heading on a collision course with the wrath of God. That day's coming, and it's coming very quickly. It's only the the, the grace and the long-suffering of God that's withholding wrath. Only revival will save this land. Only revival. And of course, where does revival begin? Does it begin in the corridors of power? Does it begin in Stormont or Westminster or Buckingham Palace? No, it doesn't. It begins here in my heart and in yours. It begins in our prayer meetings. It begins when we're on our knees. It begins when we're seeking God when Christ reveals himself to us. That's got to be where the future is. May the Lord bless these thoughts to your heart and soul tonight. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, we come into your presence. We thank you for your help. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your wisdom. We pray for our land and our nation. As it turns away from you, Pray that you would visit us with the spirit of Elijah once again. Send the fire and send the light. Cause your face to shine upon us in these dark days, we pray. We pray for revival in our hearts. We pray for revival in our church. We pray for revival in our homes. We pray for our children that you would save every one, our young people. We pray for those that have wandered away that you would, draw them back. We pray for every home, every family, for every marriage. Lord, undertake for each one. With all of the struggles and fears and worries and difficulties that we have in this modern world, we pray that we would keep our eyes on the Savior, look full in his wonderful face that the things of this world would go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Pray for these meetings as they continue. We pray your spirit will come in amongst your people. and Bless each preacher, that each one would come as the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be your abiding portion now and evermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you.